Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. All right, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on what time zone you are in. Today, we are going to start, and I say start because this chapter is almost 40 pages long, Chapter 28, Freemasonry and the Crusades. The legendary history of Freemasonry contains nothing more interesting or more crowded with the romance of heroes and adventure than the stories telling of its origin and growth with the Crusades. Nothing has been written about early Freemasonry in which the judgment and reasoning powers have more completely given place to the imagination of inventors of various theories on this subject. We shall examine in due course the support given by several writers to the theory tracing the origin of Freemasonry to the Crusades, to the chivalric or knightly orders of the Middle Ages, and especially to the Knights Templar. First, however, it will be proper to take a very brief view of the wars between the Christians and the Saracens, which, under the name of the Crusades, cost Europe so vast an amount of blood and treasure in the unsuccessful attempt to get and to hold possession of the Holy Land or Palestine. This review or synopsis need not be more than a brief one, because the topic has frequently been and freely treated by many historians, from Joinville to Michaud and Mills, and must therefore be familiar to most readers. About 20 years after the Muslims had conquered Jerusalem, a monk of Picardy in France had paid a pious visit to the holy city. Angered at the indignities to which the Christian pilgrims were subjected in their faithful and devoted journeys to the tomb of their Lord, and moved by the complaints of the aged monk Peter the Hermit, for such is the name that he bears in history, resolved on his return to Europe to attempt to rouse the religious sentiment and the military spirit of the sovereigns, the nobles, and the people of the West. Having first obtained the approval of the Pope of Rome, Peter the Hermit traveled through Italy and France, and by fiery addresses in every place that he visited, urged his hearers to the sacred duty of rescuing Palestine from the hands of the infidels. The superstitious feelings of a priest-governed people and the military spirit of knights accustomed to adventure were readily awakened by the eloquence of a fanatical preacher. In every city and village, in the churches and on the highways, the voice of Peter the Hermit proclaimed the wrongs and the sufferings of pious pilgrims. His reproaches awoke the sorrow and repentance of his hearers for their past indifference to the cause of their brethren and stimulated their eagerness to rescue the sacred shrines from the dishonoring grasp of their Saracen possessors. A spirit of enthusiasm spread through all classes of the people, nobles and priests, princes and peasants. There came about a wonderful uprising, one which the history of the world had never before and has never since presented. With united action, war was declared by the nations of Western Europe against the profaning Muslims. Tradesmen and mechanics left the pursuits by which they were accustomed to gain their livelihood. Peasants and farmers quit their fields, their flocks, and their herds. And the nobles and barons sold or mortgaged their estates to find the means of joining the expedition and to take up arms in a holy cause. Numerous conflicts followed for the space of 200 years. These wars were called the Crusades, or in French, Crusades, from the blood-red cross worn by the warriors on the breast or shoulder. 
The Red Cross was first bestowed at the Council of Clermont by Pope Urban on the Bishop of Puy, and ever afterward worn by every crusader as a badge of his profession. The first body of troops of the great army destined for a holy war started in the year 1096 from the western countries. There were nearly 300,000 men, for the most part of the lowest sections of society, and these were headed by Peter the Hermit. As a fighting force it was, however, a huge, untrained, and unruly mob rather than an army. Their leader was entirely without military ability and power to govern it or to control its wild confusion. The march, or rather the progress, of this immense throng toward Asia Minor was marked at every step by crime. They destroyed the towns and plundered the inhabitants of every province through which they wandered wild, organized, a law-breaking rabble. The outraged inhabitants opposed their passage with arms. In many conflicts in Hungary and in Bulgaria, they were slaughtered by thousands. Peter the Hermit escaped to the mountains. Of his deceived and debased followers, but few reached Constantinople, and still fewer the shores of Asia Minor. They were quickly destroyed by the forces of the Sultan. The first war of the Crusades had not fairly begun before 300,000 lives were lost in the advance guard of the army. The first crusade was undertaken in the same year, and speedily followed the advance body whose unlucky fate had just been recorded. This military force included many of the most noted barons and knights who were accompanied by their feudal retainers. At the head of this more disciplined army, consisting of a hundred thousand knights and horsemen and five times that number of foot soldiers, was the renowned Godfrey of Bouillon, a nobleman famed for his religious faith and devotion, his valor, and his military skill. This mighty army, although awkward to handle because of its vast numbers and scarcely manageable by reason of the different elements of the various nations of which it was composed, was, notwithstanding many reverses, more fortunate and had more successful than the rabble under Peter the Hermit that had preceded it. Godfrey and his army reached Palestine in fairly good condition for fighting, though not without a large loss of knights and soldiers. At length, the holy city, after a siege of five weeks, was conquered by the Christian warriors in the year 1099, and their leader was declared the first Christian king of Jerusalem. He wanted not the honor of the royal title. Godfrey refused to accept a crown of gems in the place where his lord and master had worn a crown of thorns, and contented himself with the rank of duke and defender of the holy sepulchre. During the course of the next 25 years, Palestine became the home, or at least the dwelling place, of much of the chivalry of Europe. The Latin kingdom of Jerusalem had extended eastward from the shores of the Mediterranean Sea to the deserts of Arabia, and southward from the city of Berytus, now Beirut, in Syria, to the frontiers of Egypt, beside the country of Tripoli, which stretched north of Berytus to the borders of the principality of Antioch. A second crusade, begun by the preaching of the monk St. Bernard and promoted by Louis VII of France, was undertaken in the year 1147. The number of knights, soldiers, priests, women, and camp followers who were engaged in this second crusade has been estimated at nearly a million. At its head were the Emperor Conrad III of Germany and King Louis VII of France. This effort to relieve and to strengthen the declining Christian power in Palestine was not a successful one. After a futile and inglorious attempt to take the city of Damascus, whose nearness to Jerusalem was considered dangerous to the Latin kingdom, Louis returned home with a small remnant of his army in 1149 and was followed in the next year by the Emperor Comrade. Thus ended uselessly the Second Crusade, and the position against the infidels in Palestine was left to be defended by the feeble forces but unfailing courage of the Christian inhabitants. For the next 35 or 40 years, there is a sad and continuous record of the reverses of the Christians. 
They had to contend with a new and powerful adversary in the person of the renowned Saracen, Saladin, better known as Saladin, Saladin, who after 16 years of warfare with the Christian knights, in which he was sometimes defeated, but oftener a victor, succeeded in taking Jerusalem on the 2nd of October in the year 1187. Thus, after a possession by the Christians of 88 years, the city of Jerusalem and the holy shrine which it contained fell again into the power of the Muslims. When the tiding of its fall reached Europe, the greatest dismay and sorrow prevailed. At once there came about a general determination to make a vigorous effort for its rescue from the infidel conquerors. The enthusiasm of the people for its recovery was scarcely less than that which had preceded the First and Second Crusades under the eloquent appeals of Peter the Hermit and St. Bernard. The principal sovereigns of Europe, Spain alone excepted, which was engaged in its own struggles to destroy the Moors, resolved to lead the armies of their respective nations to the reconquest of Jerusalem. Thus there began the Third Crusade. Countless forces from England, France, Italy, and other countries in the year 1188 rushed with hasty rashness to Palestine. 100,000 crusaders under Guy le Lusignon appeared the following year, 1189, before the city of Acre. The siege lasted for two years with a vast waste of lives on both sides. At length, the city gave up the struggle and the Muslims surrendered to the victorious forces of Richard the Lionhearted, King of England. This third crusade is remarkable for the number of European sovereigns who were personally engaged in it. Richard of England, Philip Augustus of France, Frederick Barbarossa of Germany, and the Dukes of Suabia and of Burgundy had all left their dominions to be governed by regents in their absence and had joined in the pious struggle to redeem the Holy Land from Mohammedan rule. Notwithstanding many victories over Saladin in hard-fought fields and the conquest of many important places such as Acre, Ascalon, Jaffa, and Caesarea, the Crusaders failed in their great design of recovering Jerusalem. The holy city still remained in the possession of Saladin, who, however, having made a truce with King Richard, granted, as one of the terms of the treaty, free and undisturbed access to all pilgrims who desired to visit the place so dear to Christian and Jew. Thus ended the Third Crusade. Scarcely can it be called an absolute failure, notwithstanding that Jerusalem still remained in the hands of the infidels. But the total ruin with which at its commencement the Latin kingdom had been threatened was avoided. The conquering progress of the Muslims had been seriously checked. The hitherto victorious Saladin had been compelled to make a truce. The greater part of the seacoast of Palestine, with all its fortresses and the cities of Acre, Jaffa, Antioch, and Tyre, remained in the possession of the Christians. Saladin survived the making of the truce with Richard, but a few months. On his death, the dominions were divided between three of his sons and his brother Safadin. The last of these, to whom most of the veterans who had fought under Saladin remained attached, secured for himself a sovereignty in Syria. The death of their famous and powerful foe had encouraged the Christians of Palestine to make renewed efforts to recover Jerusalem as soon as the truce had expired. To aid in this design, a new crusade was begun in Europe. The appeal, heard with unconcern in England and France, met with more favor in Germany. Three large forces of German chivalry arrived at Acre in 1195. The campaign lasted, however, less than two years, and the troops, having effected no decisive results, were recalled to Germany in consequence of the death of the Emperor Henry VI. This expedition, which has been dignified by some writers with the name of the Fourth Crusade, has, however, more generally been considered as a mere incident in the history of the Holy Wars. 
The Fourth Crusade proper began in the year 1203, when a large army of knights and men-at-arms in France, Germany, Italy, and Flanders sailed for Constantinople in transports furnished by the Venetians and commanded by the blind Doge, or chief magistrate of Venice, Dandolo. The throne of the Byzantine Empire had been unlawfully seized by the elder Alexius, who imprisoned his brother, the legitimate ruler, after causing the latter's eyes to be put out. The first object of the Crusaders was to dethrone the usurper and to restore the government to Isaac and his son, the younger Alexius, who had started the enterprise and who accompanied the expedition. The siege and the conquest of Constantinople is told in the graphic language of Gibbon, but it is so wholly unconnected with the subject of our present inquiry as to not claim further attention. It is sufficient to say that by it the Crusaders were entirely cut off from the great object for which they left Europe. None of them ever reached or sought to reach the land of Palestine. Thus the Fourth Crusade ended without a blow having been struck for the recovery of Jerusalem and the deliverance of the Holy Sepulchre from the unholy grasp of its Paynim possessors. The Fifth Crusade commenced in the year 1217. In this war, the Crusaders attacked Egypt, believing that that country was key to Palestine. At first they were successful. They besieged and captured the city of Damietta, but, influenced and directed by the love of money and the ignorance of the representative of the Pope, they refused the offer of the Saracens, that if the Christians would leave Egypt, they would give up Jerusalem to them, and continued the campaign with most disastrous results. Finally, abandoning the contest, the Crusaders returned to Europe in 1229, never having even seen the shores of the Holy Land. A sixth crusade was undertaken by the French in 1238. Later on, they were joined by Richard, Earl of Cornwall, the nephew of Richard the Lionhardened. The military capacity and its powers of this able leader led to successful results, and in 1240 to the restoration of Jerusalem to the Christians. The crusade ended with the return in 1240 of the Earl of Cornwall to England. The fortifications of Jerusalem were rebuilt by the Knights Templar. Scarcely had the necessary measures for defense been completed when the Christian kingdom was attacked by a new enemy, the descendants of those barbaric tribes of Tartars who, under the name of Huns, had centuries before overcome the Roman Empire now began to lay waste to Asia Minor. 20,000 Turkmen horsemen under Barbacan, their chief assisted by Egyptian priests, were enabled in 1242 to take Jerusalem from the Christians, who never again recovered it until the surrender to the British on December 9, 1917. The war begun in 1242 continued with a series of disasters to the Christians. Palestine was overrun by the barbarous host of Turkmen's, the Muslims of Damascus, Aleppo, and Ems, forgetful of their ancient hatred and religious conflicts, united with the Knights Templar to oppose a common enemy. The effort to stay the progress of the Turkmen invasion was vain. Nearly every city of the Latin Kingdom, such as Tiberias, Ascalon, Jaffa, and others, was conquered. Acre alone remained to the Christian chivalry. The Holy Sepulchre was again in the possession of the infidels. A seventh crusade was commenced in 1245 to recover what had been lost. It was undertaken by the chivalry of England and France. Louis IX commanded the French portion of the forces in person. William Longsword, who had distinguished himself in the Fifth Crusade with many other English knights and nobles, vowed that they would serve under the banner of France. Egypt was again made the first object of the expedition. After an unnecessary and unwise delay of eight months at Cyprus, Louis sailed in 1248 for Egypt with a force of 50,000 men. The history of this crusade is but an account of repeated defeats of the Christians by the arms of their enemies, by famine and by disease. At Mansoura in 1250, the crusaders were totally routed. 
30,000 Christians were slain, among them the finest of the French and English chivalry. King Louis himself was taken prisoner. He was only ransomed by the surrender of Damietta to the Turks. The conquest of that city had been almost the only successful trophy of the Christian arms. The king went to Accra, one of the remaining possessions of the Christians in Syria, and soon afterward returned to France, thus ending the seventh and the last but one of the Crusades in the year 1254. Then for 14 years, Syria and Palestine were left to poor protection that could be afforded by the Knights Templar and the Hospitallers, two orders who even in the face of their common foe could not check their own bitter discord and rivalry. These conflicts were resulted in a bloody battle between them in which the Templars were almost completely destroyed. The Latin kingdom of Palestine being thus weakened by the quarrels among its defenders, city after city was lost to the Muslims until Acre alone remained in the hands of the Christians. The heaviest blow was inflicted in the year 1268 by the fall of Antioch, capital of Syria. 40,000 Christians were slain at the time of its surrender and 100,000 sold into slavery. The fall of the Christian state of Antioch was a misfortune that once more aroused the military ardor of the pious spirit of Europe. A new crusade was begun for the recovery of the Holy Land, the restoration of the Latin Kingdom, and to expel the infidels from the sacred territory. This crusade was conducted entirely by Prince Edward, afterward Edward I of England. True, Louis IX of France, fearless of such disasters that had previously befallen him, had, with unfalling ardor, sought to renew his efforts for the recovery of the Holy Sepulchre. He sailed from France for that purpose in 1270, but he had stopped short at Tunis, where he had hoped to convert to Christianity the king and people. Although no decisive battles took place between the Moors and the Christians, the army of the latter was soon destroyed by the heat of the climate, by fatigue, by famine, and disease. The king of France himself died but little more than a month after his arrival on the shore of ancient Carthage. Prince Edward had joined the French army at Tunis with a small force of knights. After the death of the French king and the giving up of that enterprise, he sailed for Syria with an army of only 1,000 knights and men-at-arms and landed at Acre in 1270. The knights of the chivalry of Palestine gathered gladly around his standard and quickly increased his army to 7,000 men. With this unequal supply of soldiery, weak in numbers but strong in courage and in the capacity of their leader, Edward attacked the great host of Muslims besieging Acre, causing them to retire and following them to Nazareth, captured that city after a battle in which the infidels were defeated with great slaughter. The taking of Nazareth closed the military career of Edward in Palestine. Narrowly escaping death from a poisoned wound inflicted by a Muslim assassin, he returned to England in 1271, having first arranged a truce of ten years with the Sultan of Egypt. The defense of Palestine, or rather of Acre, the only point occupied by the Christians as the capital and name, at least, of the Latin Kingdom, was left to the knights of the three orders of chivalry, the Templars, the Hospitallers, and the Teutonic Knights. By them, the truce was many times broken. Peaceable Muslim traders were often plundered. Satisfaction for these acts having often been asked in vain, the Sultan at length determined to expel the faithless Franks. He marched against Acre with an army of 200,000 men. After a siege of little more than a month, in which wonderful bravery was shown by the knights of the three military orders, Acre was taken in 1271 by assault at the cost of 60,000 Christian lives. The inhabitants who did not submit to the Moslem yoke escaped to Cyprus with the remnants of the Templars, the Hospitallers, and the Teutonic Knights that outlived the slaughter. Thus, after a bloody series of struggles for 200 years, the possession of the Holy Land was left in the hands of enemies of the cross. So ends the history of the Crusades. 
For 50 years afterwards, the popes tried to renew the old efforts for the recovery of the holy places. Their appeals met with no success. The tide of religious zeal to set free the holy sepulcher that had inspired the kings, the nobles, and the knights of Europe for two centuries had ebbed away. The thirst for glory and the love of arms were from that time on to be directed into other channels. And that is a perfect point at about one-third of the way through the chapter to call it a break, and we'll pick it up again next week. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.